Welcome to Apparently Speaking, the podcast from Northeast Ohio Parent with your host, Miriam Connor. Hi, this is Miriam. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Having a baby is a truly amazing time, but it also comes with a lot of questions, especially during that first year. My guest today has answers to all of those questions because she's written the go-to resource for new parents looking for expert advice on their baby's health, growth, and development. Ari Brown, MD, is a practicing pediatrician in Austin, Texas for over 25 years after completing her pediatric residency and fellowship in developmental behavior pediatrics at Harvard Medical School, Children's Hospital, Boston. Her passion to advocate for children and educate families extends beyond the office setting. She's the author of the best-selling 411 Parent Education Book Series, including Baby 411, Clear Answers and Smart Advice for Your Baby's First Year, with the new 20th Anniversary 10th Edition out this year. She's appeared on numerous national news and talk shows, including NBC's Today Show, Dr. Phil, and CNN. She's a trusted voice for children's health, serving as a spokeswoman for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Dr. Brown has received the American Academy of Pediatrics Lifetime Achievement Award for Child Health Advocacy. Sponsored by the all-new Mazda of Kent. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs, and U.S. News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brown, for being here. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Excited to talk to you today. Yes, me too. I was telling you before we started recording that, you know, I don't have probably a, a lot of baby content, you know, that baby, baby, that first year. And that's, that's so important. And there's, that's such a time where there's so many questions and, you know, the unsure of this and that. And so, you know, I'm going to make a mistake. So um, I'm very excited to have you here because um, you're a complete expert on that topic. So thank you so much um, for coming. And I know your books, you know, especially the baby 411, it's such a huge book and um, covers so many things. So really just want to talk to you about, about that and baby's first year. And so maybe we can start out with, you know, maybe some, some of the most popular questions or topics that you seem to get. Wow. You know, it's funny because I, so first of all, I, I started writing um, my first edition of this book tw 20 years ago. We're now on our 20th anniversary edition, our 10th edition. So I update. I update. That's amazing. Yes, yeah, I, I know it's been a it's been quite the ride. But <laughs> we, we update these books every two years because questions change, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so there's some evergreen content that absolutely, you know, never changes. And, and that was probably the first, you know, 400 pages of this book. And now, <laughs> I mean, it's, this is an encyclopedia. I mean, now it's like 600 pages. So it's not a book you just kind of sit down and right. <laughs> but it's, it is just jam packed with questions. And, 
and updated to the questions that parents ask. And so it's it's been a fun ride for me because it challenges me. So it, my day job is that I'm a full-time practicing pediatrician. And so when I have a parent, and now I kind of challenge my patients, and I'll say, if you ask a question I have not answered yet, you're going in the next edition. Uh, <laughs> that's so, great. You know, then it becomes kind of a game, like, has anyone asked you a that? Challenge, yet? yes. <laughs> yes. So, so that said, you know, what are the most popular questions? You know, I will say there's the you know, the evergreen questions, which yeah. are, you know, why is my baby crying? Yeah. Uh, you know, what, you know, is this an emergency? You know, what is that in my baby's diaper? Should I be worried? <laughs> right. Um, and that stuff never changes. And, you know, and how do I get my baby to sleep through the night? Which yes, is, of course. Which is the holy grail of parenting is how do I, how do I accomplish that one? Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and then there, you know, there are more nuanced things about, you know, about breastfeeding and what's mm -hmm. safe and, you know, what's the data on some of these things? Is it really okay to, you know, kind of bring back some of these things that I, I couldn't eat or I couldn't drink during pregnancy? Is it okay while I'm breastfeeding? And, you know, where, you know, where do we draw the line on, you know, safety questions about that? And, and really just making breastfeeding successful. And then, and then if you are supplementing or if you're choosing infant formula, oh my gosh, that has evolved because there's so many more options and, and parents are really, um, to, I will say, to uh, the parent consumer credit, um, a lot of formulas have changed and evolved because parents have said, you know what, I want, you know, something that feels cleaner, that feels organic, that mm -hmm. feels like it's made with pure sugar and not corn syrup and, you know, and what's safe. And, and so those, those are, you know, that, that gets into some deeper dives on questions. Um, but I think that, you know, the families that I've worked with over the years really, you know, they're seeking that kind of information because they want to be empowered and they want to make informed decisions and feel confident about those decisions. Right. Um, and so we covered the gamut and then, and then there's a whole, whole section on illness and infections. And, um, and that's been fun with this, you know, my latest edition now includes all of the journey that we've taken on COVID and, and our learning curve on that. But um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's every question you can probably think of. And again, you know, and I'll, and I'll challenge your listeners, if you come up with a question, <laughs> It's not in the book. We will put it in the next video. I love it. That's great. Or, or I'll do a special TikTok video just for oh. you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, definitely. I want to know that too. If somebody comes up with one, that's great. Oh, that's great. Yeah, definitely. You know, as I was thinking of when my kids were babies, you know, kind of go back and sometimes you don't remember it completely accurately, you know, certain things, but, um, of course the sleeping, all those kind of things, like you said, you know, make sure you're bonding with the baby. And I had, you know, with my first daughter, it was, she wasn't gaining enough weight or so I was told, you know, at the beginning. So that was kind of, and I was like, I didn't know I, that would even be, you know, something yeah. I had to, to think about or taking her back in for weight checks and yeah. all that. And then obviously yeah. it ended up being fine. But at that time, you know, that's, that's can be a little nerve wracking. <laughs> yeah. Well, and yes, you know, the, I think that what uh, and I, you know, I have two kids of my own, so I've been through, you know, I've been through this, the patient side as well. Yeah. And I think when you're pregnant, you spend so much time thinking about your pregnancy. Right. And then once the baby comes out, 
you know, you almost anticipate, oh, this, you know, we'll figure this out, which you will. And, yeah, and, that's you will. Really, and, and that is a very key take home point, by the way. I tell families all the time, you need to trust yourself because I promise, you know, even if you don't know everything about babies, you're going to learn. And if something, you know, and you're not going to miss something serious, which is every parent's greatest fear, right? Is I'm not going to know if my kid is sick. And I promise you, you will, you may not know what the diagnosis is, but something will prompt you to say, I think this child needs to be seen and, you know, something's wrong, right? Um, but that said, um, that's where, you know, my job as a pediatrician comes in is like, hey, you know, there's a lot of stuff that happens early in your, you know, in the first few days of life that a lot of parents, you know, I love talking to pregnant families to say, okay, let me tell you, like, there's a, there's a, you know, train wreck coming. <laughs> you, don't, you don't know what's coming, you know, and the more that you're prepared for those early days, you know, the less scary it is. And so those early days, to your point, one of the things that we're watching very closely for is newborns and losing weight. And, mm -hmm. and so that's something that I definitely walk through with, you know, and if you can, you know, and if you can read that chapter yeah. my, or, you know, watch my little newborn care videos before the baby's born, super helpful because, because that's the thing that gets a lot of parents that you're like, wow, my baby is losing weight, which they lose up to 10% of their birth weight in the first few days of life because they're born with kind of extra water weight um, to carry them through the first few days. And babies are super sleepy. Being born is exhausting for all parties involved. Mm. And, and so they sleep and they don't eat very much. And then about it, you know, 49 hours of life, literally, you know, when most people are going home from the hospital, they wake up and realize that the you know, the placenta and umbilical cord, which was the 24 hour buffet line has just been clipped <laughs> and um, they want food. And then if moms are breastfeeding, it usually takes to day three to day five for the mature breast milk to come in. And so it's a bit of a leap of faith watching this baby who is very hungry and looking for food and that demand makes them insatiable but that's what drives mom's milk supply to come in so that's nature's way and it's this elaborate plan of the baby's losing weight they get hungry they want to eat that drives mom's milk supply and everything is usually you know usually works out perfectly between day three to day five but we as pediatricians are monitoring that and so we see that you know so we'll see the baby for a follow-up, usually day three, day four of life. And, and, and oftentimes, I, and I tell families this all the time, like the next official visit is the two week well check, but I'd be real surprised if we don't see you in between them, you know, because we want to hold your hand and make sure that your baby's flying. And if they lose more than 10% of their birth weight, and then they get dehydrated, then they get too tired to do their job, which is to eat and drive that milk supply. And so we follow that and babies get jaundice as a result of that. And so that's the other thing we're following. So we see a lot of families. Yeah. With newborns, which I don't think that parents really realize, again, because they're super focused on pregnancy and delivery. And after delivering two babies, boy, yeah, that's an important thing to be prepared for. Um, but also, you know, the, the aftermath is that we're making sure that that baby is flying and everyone feels confident that the baby's starting to gain because then they'll start to gain an ounce a day at that point, which is amazing because they gain about a pound every other week amazing right yeah um, it really is just all of a sudden it takes off you know it's right, like right but you know here's the reality check is that none you know we all have to you know go to driver's ed to be able to drive the car but there's no no parenting license and so mm -hmm. you know like so we don't necessarily know those things right 
Um, so that's why I think, you know, reading and learning um, kind of prepares you for that because they can be really scary. And then yes. you don't, you know, yeah. So yeah. So and some people have, you know, you know, people right there, you know, they can ask or different family members and, and some people don't. So they might feel, mm -hmm. you know, a little bit more alone. So you're right. Something like just yeah researching and your book and, and things like that. And, and, you know, that's valuable information. I yeah. bet, um, you get a lot of questions about sleeping through the night. Should I let them cry it out or not? Right. Yeah. Great question. So, um, so every parent, every parent goes through this because no one tells you, it, it, well, actually, I think people do tell you, but you don't really realize, like, I don't yeah. think you can fully appreciate how exhausted you're going to be. Mm -hmm. And and so again, from my, my own or like my baby's not going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> and also like you, so, so as somebody who went through, you know, three years of sleep deprivation during my pediatric residency, you know, the, you know, the, the, the difference, the difference between that and being a new parent is that at least I got to go home and go to sleep. Like I'd be on call, I'd be yeah. up and then I would go home and go to sleep and I would catch up. But as a new parent, you never get that, right? And so your baby needs to eat frequently. They eat eight to 12 times a day, eight to 12 times a day. And that doesn't mean necessarily every two to three hours, but in general, that's kind of how it usually plays out. But sometimes they will do this cluster feeding where they eat you know, three meals in a row and they never do it during the hours you want them to. Never. Because they don't make melatonin, which is what controls our circadian rhythm and makes us sleepy at night and makes us wakeful when the sun rises. Babies don't make that for the first six weeks of life. So they're ready to party and the sun, you know, sun goes down, they're awake. And and so you never get to catch up. And so at some point, you know, you're excited initially, but then the euphoria wears off. And then you're just exhausted <laughs> after doing this for like eight weeks where you're never getting more than a three, you know, hour stretch at night or during the day for that matter, um, you can't catch up. And, and so that's when parents are always looking for, well, when, when, what is the end point here? And so they're all looking for the answer of how quickly can we get this kid to sleep through the night? And, you know, am I going to spoil my baby by mm -hmm. taking them off all the time? And so, so, you know, the, the, the very short, you know, version of the answer to this question is for the first three months of, you know, a baby's life neurologically, their brain is very immature. And so you're not setting up any bad habits um, and you kind of do what you got to do to get, you know, and you'll figure it out. Um, you know, it may take a couple of weeks, but you will figure out what reliably soothes your baby and gets them to fall asleep. Um, in those first three months, as long as it's safe, which is really important because a lot of parents will cave to do things that are not safe in the interest of sleep. Um, but whatever that safe, solution is that works, you're not setting up any habits. But the caveat to that is know when your baby matures and mm. also know when your baby doesn't need to eat all the time. And, and so those things kind of fall into place from three to four months of life. And so the sweet spot for a baby who's born full term, so a baby born on time, who's gaining weight appropriately, 17 weeks, which is about four months of life, that's when your baby's kind of brain light turns on and they start to form sleep associations. And we're all creatures of habit. And so if you set up a routine 
a healthy sleep routine, they will start to associate that routine with falling asleep. And so all the things, all the things that you probably do in those first three months, which is rocking them until they're dead weight on your shoulder or you know, nursing them until they fall asleep and then hoping they stay asleep when you gently move them into their sleep space. Um, those things are no longer a good idea. <laughs> By nights. That's when you want to separate falling asleep from the feeding and the cozy cuddling. And, you know, and so you read them a book, you sing them a song after you've done a feeding session and make sure that they're relaxed, but not asleep when you transition them to their crib. I did that all wrong, which is why <laughs> <laughs> I could never put my kids down, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you have all kinds of moments to, you know, do all the cuddly stuff. And so I'm not telling people to take that away. It's just that, that, that little transition period where they know that they know how to fall asleep, because if they know how to fall asleep, let me tell you, a 17-week-old, a four-month-old should be able to sleep six hours on the front end of the night without needing someone to help them fall back asleep, without needing to eat. And boy, I tell you, six hours feels amazing. Yeah, that feels amazing okay. now. <laughs> and, 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 and the thing that, and, and, you know, and parents always go, oh, I, I'm not sure I can do this. You know, yeah. and let me tell you something. You are a better parent if you're well-rested. I mean, mm -hmm. this is the reality, right? And, and, you know, and happy parents make happy children. And, mm -hmm. and so, you know, everybody gets better sleep. Everybody's well-rested. Your baby is more prepared to, you know, do those developmental things they need to be doing. And you're a whole lot happier and have a much longer fuse, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so I always tell people, this is what your baby is capable of. This is when they're capable of it. And you need to grow with your baby. See, because, and, and again, we're all, we all do this and I, I as a parent do also do it is you have to grow with your child. So, you know, you kind of go, oh, I'm going to roll with this because this works. But the thing is, is your child is not the same child as they were two weeks ago or two months ago. Right. And so you have to adapt with your child as they grow. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, the all new Mazda of Kent. MazdaKent.com. There's no inventory shortage here. Test drive a new Mazda today. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And maintenance is no charge for one year. Plus Mazda certified pre-owned vehicles with the balance of a seven year, 100,000 mile warranty. US News and World Report awarded Mazda best car brand. Come experience our new retail evolution dealership created solely with the customer in mind. We provide a premium experience that customers expect and deserve. Test drive a new Mazda today at your Mazda destination, the all new Mazda of Kent, where my family shops for cars. MazdaKent.com, MazdaKent.com. Great advice. And, and it's like I said, I love that you're, you're actually, you know, still a practicing pediatrician. So you see, and you see everything, you know, every day. And so you're not just making these things up. You have all this research based and practical experience. Right. And um, yes. 
Yes. Yeah. What about, I know you talk about some baby products that maybe like must-haves and don't need. Maybe we can talk about a couple of those because there's so many things out there. And I, I remember when I was having babies, and that was a long time ago, there were so many things. And I was like, what? You know, and you think, you think with the first one, of course, you need every single product and every right. item. And then as you, you know, you realize later, like, I didn't really need that or, you know, and this was invaluable. And now there's a million more things out. Right. Yeah, I I would say that I have um I have more things on the you don't need this <laughs> list than you do. Um so maybe let's tackle those you don't sure, need. Yes. And particularly when it comes to sleep because again, you know, parents are seeking solutions because they just, you know, want a good night's sleep. And 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 so there are a lot of products that are not concerned. And, and by the way, I, I also, I serve as a spokesperson for the American Academy of Pediatrics. Mm -hmm. And so these are all things that, you know, the, that we actually have a sudden infant death syndrome task force that provides recommendations and, and they actually call out these products too. So it's not just me saying this is a bad idea. It's right. 67,000 pediatricians are like, this is a bad idea. Mm -hmm. um, but um, so in those first couple of months of life, um, we do, we do um, encourage, it's not required by any means, but we do encourage families to try swaddling as a way to mm -hmm. help the baby relax because they have a startle reflex where you put them down on their back, which is the recommendation for that sleep position to reduce SIDS risk, but it makes their arms fling up in the air and, and then mm -hmm. they wake up and then you have to start back at ground zero. So, so swaddling their arms can be helpful. And so there are some, you know, just cheap cotton blanket swaddlers, which are fine to use. Um, there are some more sophisticated ones that have Velcro. Those are okay to use. And then, and, and then we get into the gray zone of, you know, these things where these are really kind of products that are not safe because it interferes with the baby's ability to protect themselves. And particularly after two months of age, we tell people to stop swaddling because that startle reflex goes away and the baby needs to move around in their sleep, A, to protect themselves and breathe, and also B, to prevent having a flat head from sleeping mm -hmm. in one position for several hours. And so these are the no-go products. So what parents often do is they move to these um, and I, and I, I'm afraid to use this phrase sleep sack, because there are some sleep sacks that are just fine, which are basically a potato sack with a zipper. And if it's just a sleep sack, it's fine. You can also use sleeper pajamas. I don't know why. I mean, I think if you're changing a diaper at night, maybe a sleep sack is useful. Oh, right. But there are sleep sacks that actually have swaddle features. Don't recommend those. There's sleep sacks that have weighted, you know, like, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're weighted blankets, essentially, that keep the baby from being able to move. And then my very least favorite one is the Magic Merlin sleep suit, um, which is basically like the, you know, Michelin man, oh. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of a Christmas story in the quirky walk. <laughs> But that's essentially what it is. And, and and parents will trans transition um, from using a swaddle to this product, hoping that their baby will continue to sleep. And the reality is, is your baby needs to move around and, and it's not a safe product because it interferes with their ability to move. So, you know, anything that's a weighted blanket, mm -hmm. anything that's, you know, something that's going to somehow immobilize your baby is 
a bad idea product you don't need. We also don't recommend in that same realm, anything that's on an incline. So all of these baby loungers um, that look like lazy boy recliners. Yeah. You know, yeah. Those are, those are unsafe and, you okay. know, there have been entrapment and, you know, strangulation, you know, horrible, horrible stories about those products because the baby doesn't have that head and neck control and they can actually, you know, block mm. their airway or they can roll over and then suffocate. So so anything that's flat is fine. Um, and actually, we encourage people when their baby is awake not to be in one of those and that you're either you know, holding them or you can even have one of those um, products where the baby is actually you know, like a ergo baby or a baby Bjorn where you're actually carrying your baby hands free, but then they're not leaning on the back of their heads. So those would be those are actually pretty good. So that would be a product that would be OK and probably a good idea is having one of those infant carriers. Um, and again, kind of a cheap swaddler are, you know, those would be okay products. Um, and the final thing kind of not related to sleep is that, um, people always ask me about pacifiers and is it okay to use a pacifier? And if you're breastfeeding, does it interfere with breastfeeding? And the answer is no, it does not interfere with breastfeeding, um, in the sense that your baby's not going to take a pacifier or your baby's not going to nurse. They're going to take a pacifier if they're hungry. Pacifier is not going to fly. <laughs> yeah, they don't want that. <laughs> <laughs> but but the caveat of nursing with a pacifier is that how the baby suckles with a pacifier is a little different than at a mom's nipple. And so to prevent nipple trauma, um, we always recommend... <sighs> Trying to make sure breastfeeding is well established, you're a good team and your technique and the latch is good before you introduce a pacifier. And I always prefer this and, and all the lactation consultants I've ever worked with um, prefer the Suvi brand because it's more shaped like a human nipple. So your baby is not chomping at the pacifier and then chomping at your breast because mm. that makes breastfeeding not fun and we want breastfeeding to be successful. And I always see baby, well, kids, I don't know, but I guess they're not really babies. This is, and we're talking about babies, but I think that are maybe too old for that. And they're not, they're not talking or like having that smiling or all that. I'm like, take yeah, that we, out. Actually. Okay. So I actually have, I have a whole section in my book called the great binky debate. Uh huh. And actually have brought in speech therapists and a dentist and an orthodontist go, okay, what's your take on pacifiers? And then my own personal take. And I always tell people, please, there's a time to use a pacifier and a time to stop. Mm -hmm. And so I always tell people past six months, you do, you don't need a pacifier because your baby is born with very few self-soothing skills. The one that they have is sucking, sucking is soothing. So fine for six months, that's fine. But I tell people to get rid of it after that, because then it becomes a sleep crutch. Mm -hmm. And that's why I don't like to use it. And in general, the, the speech therapists say, please stop by age one, because we want to hear what your baby has to say. Um, and the orthodontist is to get rid of it by age two, for sure. Otherwise, you're going to have more complicated orthodontics later in life. So, um, yeah. So, you know, when your baby needs it, great. But, you know, your three-year-old probably doesn't no. need it. And, uh, <laughs> and again, that's, that goes with the mantra of grow with your child. And, you know, yes, it worked when your kid was six months, but now your kid's three. So you should stop and your child will be fine. And that's the fear is, oh my gosh, they're never going to whatever get through this car ride or they're not. Yes, they will start singing songs, do something, you know? Right. As I say, there are a lot of other things as like, exactly. I like that grow with your baby. You know, there are other things that they would enjoy doing. And when you stop it earlier, it's not a big ordeal, exactly. but when you take it away, when they're a little older like that. Right. right. 
then it's like a big deal. What about, this sounds like crazy to even ask, but I know it's not crazy nowadays, but babies and screen time. Yeah, not crazy. And, and I will, uh, full disclosure, I, that was one of the, when I, when I was doing a lot of work for the, the, our national AAP organization, um, actually served on, um, the committee that looked at infants and screen time. And so, um, was part of the policy recommendation for kids under age two and screens. Um, and, and, and the reality is, is babies learn best from real people and real experiences. And so, so on a certain level, any type of content on a screen, even if it's, you know, meant to be educational, um, gets lost in translation. And, and so, you know, it may look like it's an educational show and it certainly may be entertaining. That's a different question. Entertaining, yes. Educational, no. So if you're looking for, you know, something that's going to foster your child's development, it's better to not have the screen on. Um, So one is it gets lost in translation. The other is how media is used. And so sometimes you know, media is on for the parent and not for the child. Mm-hmm. And that's called background media. Um, and when background media is on, it's distracting for the child. Actually, studies have shown that the child will, you know, be sitting there playing independently, but they'll keep looking up at the screen mm-hmm. or be listening. Um, and the other piece is that, and this is really critical, is that talk time. So a parent just jabbering, having a monologue about what they're cooking in the kitchen Mm -hmm. while the child is playing on the floor, talk time goes down by 85% um, when that background media is on. So even if you're just kind of, you know, watching the news or whatever you're doing while you're preparing dinner, it's probably better not to do that so that you can actually have some, what does not seem meaningful, extremely meaningful time with your child. So, you know, a lot of times parents are asking about developmental stimulation and how can I do all these things? I'm like, it's pretty easy, mm-hmm. it's very organic. And you don't realize the power of what you're doing in those moments where you're talking to your child. So, so I would say in general, I would not turn the screens on because it is Pandora's box, right? For mm-hmm. all of us. Um, so if you can wait as long as possible, that would be great. I'd be very mindful. And then what is educational is when you're sitting down with your child. And so what we know is for older kids, so 18 months, definitely age two up, if you're sitting there co-viewing and co-experiencing what is happening on that screen, that is what makes it educational because then you can talk about it, right? And it starts a dialogue. So it's not parking your kid in front of the screen. It's sitting down with your child if you want to make it a developmental experience. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And just, you know, good reminder, you know, you may be thinking, well, this is just a baby. They don't really like know what's going on. And so I'm just, you know, maybe it maybe a mom's been home all day. Like I'm just going to, you know, put this show on or the news or whatever. But then, you know, as we all know, time gets away from us, you get sucked in. And, and then instead of having that, you don't have to have this big plan. You don't have to buy anything, but just talking, even if you're, like you said, talking about, you kind of, maybe you think you're talking to yourself, but you know, you're just talking to the baby, having that eye contact and the facial expressions, um, I think is, is really important. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. I know we, uh, when we, when we rolled out our, our policy statement, which of course everyone balked at, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like, who's laughing now? I think maybe <laughs> we all learned something, but, um, you know, the comments that I heard were, you know, has Elmo ever killed a child? And I'm like, no. And oh I get, gosh. you know, and I get that you need to take a shower sure. and you can't spend 24 hours a day with you and you need to take a shower and you need a brief moment away from your child. But the point being is, guess what? And and this is this may be a good, you know, message to, you know, kind of end on here is that um is that playtime turns out to be really important, mm. unstructured playtime. And so you're not, you know, leaving your child alone when you ask them to play independently. And, you know, I mean I'm not asking your three month old to play independently. Right. But by six to nine months, when your child is, you know, sitting upright and they're in a safe place where they can't wander off while you're taking a shower, you know, put them in the bathroom with you and give them some toys on the floor and you'd be amazed what they come up with. And, you know, you, you don't need much and, and they will, you know, and that is a beneficial experience. So problem solving and creativity is kind of a lost art and we don't want to lose that on this generation of kids. I think that's a great thing to end on. I don't want to end, but I, I love that you just said that, you know, that problem solving and creativity, it is becoming lost, unfortunately. And yeah, we definitely don't want to lose that. And like you said, it, we don't need all kinds of electronics and these, all these kind of crazy, you know, specific toys and stuff when they're little, they will be creative and problem solve with the, the simplest things, you know, they'll have fun with. Um, and depending on the age, obviously, right. Um, as they get a little older, but yeah, right. when they're, like you said, when they're, it's safe for them to, you know, sit and, and, and play with some toys on the, you know, on a blanket on the floor while you take a two minute shower, <laughs> um, you know, as long as they're safe, then that's a good thing to do. And they will learn that, um, problem solving and creativity. We barely scratched the surface, which I knew was going to be the case, but, um, so, so how can listeners find your books? And I know you have some great online courses as well. Yeah. So, you know, quick shout out for where to find everything is store.drrebrown.com, D-R-A-R-I-B-R-O-W-N.com. But, you know, my books are where books are sold. Mm -hmm. You can find them on Amazon and bookstores everywhere. And I have all of my online platforms too. Um, so Instagram, TikTok, but you can, you can access all that through um, the store and, and where to find me. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Brown. I love talking to you. Such great, um, a great conversation. Great, great advice. Um, like I said, there's so much more. I mean, the book, you know, 600 pages. We <laughs> so much information. I think it's a great thing for parents to be, new parents. Great gift idea as well. Thank you so much for having me. And thanks for doing what you do. Thank you so much. Sponsored by the all new Mazda of Kent. Your family safety is our top priority. And Mazda has more Insurance Institute for Highway Safety Picks than any other manufacturer. So get to your Mazda destination, Mazda of Kent. Check out new Mazda CX-5 crossover SUVs, Mazda CX-30 CUVs, even 2023 Mazda CX-50 crossover SUVs. And US News & World Report awarded Mazda Best Car Brand. Check out their new retail evolution dealership, the all-new Mazda of Kent, mazdakent.com. Thank you for listening to Apparently Speaking. Listen and subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Podbean, and iHeartRadio. 
Find the podcast and much more at northeastohioparent.com. Like Apparently Speaking on Facebook and email me at podcast at northeastohioparent.com.